You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, along with Ben Folks, as always. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, all in all, pretty weird weekend in the world of combat sports. I mean, isn't that kind of what we like about it, though? It's one of the appeals. I would grant you that. A roving goddamn spectacle. And we didn't get here by accident. None of us. Not you, not me, not whoever YouTube says is famous. We all got here for a reason. Even by the standards of today. Yeah, okay. I feel like it was pretty weird. Can we talk for a minute? Okay, look. Right off the bat, I didn't watch this YouTube boxing match. I barely am aware of the people involved in it. Even though the culture, the capital C culture, keeps trying to get me to find out who they are and what their thing is. And I stubbornly have refused. However, I did read the write-up that we have up there from the boxing side of things on The Athletic. And man, it paints a picture. It is, it is well done, just in terms of, I don't want to say reportage, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm there. When I'm reading it, especially at the point, and this for people who are athletic subscribers, this is the uh, the, the Rafe Bartholomew story, uh, Jesus porn stars and teenagers galore inside the bizarre night of KSI Logan Paul two. There's a point at which all the people out there on the concourse got their phones out trying to capture the arrival of various social media influencers and other quasi celebrities of the modern age, and a man walked. A man dressed exactly as Jesus walks by, and almost nobody seems to notice. Now that that paints a picture for me. You know what? It sounded like descriptions of events that felt familiar to me. (laughs) Yeah? Even though I've never attended a boxing match between two YouTube celebrities, I still felt like I understood the milieu. Somehow. The milieu, the cultural milieu. I keep I keep fixating after I read it about the Jesus thing because there's a part of me that wants to go, what if that really was him? What if that was the guy? I mean, if you are the son of God uh-huh. go and on. you can occasionally visit the realm of the flesh. Just pop on down. When there's a big event happening, <laughs> you think that uh, one of the things that would get you off your ass and out of heaven and down here into the mortal coil, uh, would be KSI versus Logan Paul, live at the Staples Center. I mean, maybe maybe the Lamb of God is a big YouTube guy. Spends a lot of time on YouTube. He doesn't have to work. He doesn't have a job. So he's got a lot of free time. Maybe he fires up YouTube. He, uh, you know, he's developed some complicated feelings about both these guys. And when he heard there was going to be a rematch, he was like, well, I missed the first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's been kicking himself at, ever since. I was at some asshole's baptism for that one, and I'm not going to miss this one, goddammit. I hope it wasn't Nate Diaz's baptism, because you know who's hot about that? Nick Diaz. That's his baby brother, man. You don't talk about baptizing his baby brother without lighting a fire under the acid. Nick Diaz, 
who's going to show up on the Ariel Helwani show and give a lengthy, do you want to call it bizarre? By other people's standards, maybe. By Nick Diaz standards, pretty conventional. Yeah, it was pretty much a Nick Diaz interview, though I will say maybe a little more uh, far down the path toward the, the world of the aging fighter than from what we had seen seen from him in the past. Although pretty uh, pretty standard Nick Diaz stock, where as I am watching the interview, I feel intrigued and compelled and interested in everything he's saying, and I don't have time to figure it all out. I need somebody else to go in, figure out what the fuck Nick Diaz is talking about, distill it into, into a, a story on the MMA junkie or the MMA fighting. Can I hit or, you with the highlights? Or bloody elbow or wherever. Or find the theme. And, and, and then I'll circle back and I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you there. All right. We talked about this a little bit off air before we started recording today. Generalized theory. Agree or disagree. Most people get weirder as they get older. Or become more themselves in a way that reads as weirder to others. Agree or disagree? Generally agree. There are probably exceptions to the rule, but... Now, Nick Diaz was already kind of weird yes. by normal people's standards. Where are we going to end up here? Well, I mean, I don't know. How, how dark do you want to get? Well, because see, like we, everybody loves the Diaz brothers, and we celebrate their uniqueness and their strangeness, but both of them are involved in a vocation that doesn't make people less weird as they age. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that, you know, a retired 40-year-old Nick Diaz is not going to be more conventional than the young version that we were introduced to all those years ago. Likely, considering his his career path and like the way thing the way his life has gone he's probably just going to like the diaz thing is just going to get turned the volume will just get turned up and you're going to have more stream of consciousness you're going to have more lengthy uh diatribes no matter what you ask him if you even get a chance to ask him that's right and so like you're probably just going to get more of what we have long considered to be the essential nick diaz just in a slightly weirder way. And I think that's what we saw today, frankly. So you're saying I was foolish to hold out hope that we might be looking at a, a personality-based Benjamin Button kind of scenario where as Nick Diaz gets older, he would become conventional to the point of boring. Like you'd get to a point where Nick Diaz is 75 years old telling you about the importance of paying your estimated taxes so that it doesn't all pile up on you at the end of the year. Asking you if you got your oil changed recently. Not sure I would say foolish, but that's that's generally not the way things Talking go. to you about a, a really fascinating PBS documentary he saw. He would be one of the few if that were if that were going to be the way things were going to go. He surprised us before is all I'm saying. That's true. That's very true. Just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's the way we're trending. Remember, guys, you got a couple of days left to go to the co-main event podcast Patreon page and vote for our next movie club choice. We have three listener-generated options up for vote right now. 2005 documentary uh, Grizzly Man, submitted by co-main event podcast patron Tyler Sayer. We've got the 2006 movie The Fall, submitted by patron Powerhouse Papas. Do you think they're talking about us, Powerhouse Papas? A couple of, couple of dads, but still definitely out here uh, moving heavy things around? I do not, no. Okay, just I don't think. Also... 
It's powerhouse Papas, not Papas. Well, like how do you plural. know that? The two Ps, Papas, like a name, like a like a. I think that's a like a Greek surname. Okay, Papas. fair point. Fair point. The third option. Also, no one, no one has ever thought of us as the powerhouse Papas. Sounds although like a new name for the podcast. <laughs> I mean, uh, now. Now we both have to get into competitive weightlifting and start our spinoff podcast. Once you and I start our health and wellness brand. <laughs> okay, yeah. There we go. Powerhouse Papas. Uh, the final choice, by the way, Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada, 2005, submitted by Michael Schwab. Right now, Grizzly Man holding a commanding lead over the other two. Just a couple of days left to vote. So if we're going to knock Grizzly Man out of the top spot, it's going to... It's going to take a concerted effort yeah. at this point, I would think. It's almost like you might want to get started watching Grizzly Man. <laughs> it's almost like that. Unless the uh, unless there's a, a wave for one of the other two choices that's going to come along. If you haven't joined the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon yet, you definitely want to get on that. Go to patreon.com slash co-main event. We got multiple tiers and levels that you can join at. $1 tier, $5 tier, $10 tier. Uh, that's what you pay a month and you get some extras, some goodies, some added uh, content from the Co-Main Event Podcast. So go over there and, and check that out. Uh, we got music again this week from our guy, Ross Jarborg, Ross Jarborg. And if you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M, Ras Stockholm Ras. That's where he does his work, where he makes his music. You can also go over and pick up some new co-main event podcast merchandise. Some of y'all asked for it, so we just added new CME logo t-shirts to the offerings over at Cotton Bureau, just in time for the holidays. So now you can go over to CottonBureau.com and pick up a brand spanking new CME logo t-shirt, or a Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt, or a Dundasso t-shirt, or hell, get all three. Those are available on demand all the time, whenever you want them, over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today, pick up some Co-Main Event Podcast merchandise. I think there's a lot of people's moms going to be getting co-main event logo tees under the christmas tree this year i mean I, I i we can only hope we can only hope just you know go ahead and slap one on your grandparent with dementia make them just walk around not comprehending any of what they're doing but as a roving billboard for the cme buy a bunch of them and donate them to the local homeless center that's the best advertising we could possibly yeah. ask for. They're then out there on the like, streets all the time. It's like, in a way, we did something good for people, but without <laughs> actually having to do it ourselves. Indeed, sir. Yeah. Indeed. That's, that's right all, up That's all I've ever wanted. We're going to have to uh, get that cleaned up before we start the health and wellness brand. <laughs> okay. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, some intrigue between Zabit Magomed Sharapov and Calvin Cater as their three-round main event at UFC Moscow was just getting interesting when the final bell sounded. And in round number two, as the UFC heavyweight division's six foot five, 270 pound bad guy, Greg Hardy is actually super, super boring. And in round number three, everybody try to restrain yourselves as Jan Blakovic and Jacare Souza square off in a light heavyweight fight from Brazil this weekend. And yes, that is the main event. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Sean Kahn. 
He writes, many of the most respectable MMA websites I frequent were covering Logan Paul KSI as if it were a legit event. How nice it is, is it to be at the athletic and away from this bullshit? Well, the general answer to that question is that it is very nice to be away from the bullshit. The more specific answer to that question, as you mentioned, Ben, at the top of the show, the athletic did cover Logan Paul KSI, but it was over on the boxing side of things because right. ostensibly... It was a boxing match. Right. And because we are also in a rare position in the MMA media where we work for an employer that covers a range of different sports. Yeah. So the other, I mean, if you're like MMA at the follow up term.com, you don't have a boxing side of things. And also at the same time, though, you recognize this is going to bring in some of those sweet, sweet clicks. So you can't just ignore it. I mean, you could ignore it, but you don't want to just ignore it. You want to get some of that stuff. So you go ahead and you you write about it. The question for me is not if or like whether or not you write about something like this. The question is how. Yeah. Because that I think with stuff like this, my main impulse, at least these days, is, hey, man, I want to let people like what they like. If you are interested in this fight for whatever reason, either because you know who these people are, you follow them through YouTube or whatever – or you care about the whatever personal storyline there is between those guys, or you just like the idea of kind of for the purposes of scale, just getting some regular people in there to box every once in a while to remind us that maybe the professionals make it look a lot easier than it is. Yeah. Whatever your thing is that's bringing you to this fight, I want to let you have that. I don't want to be the guy who shits all over the thing that you're into just yeah. because I am personally not into it. Yeah. But I also think, though, when you're writing about it, if we're writing about this, the strange nature of how celebrity works and interacts with how you get paid to do things in the modern world, you have to take all that. You have to give us all that context. And I think that there are, like, I mean, I think that this thing we have uh, up on the, the boxing side of the athletic does a really good job of thinking about how this came to be, why it ended up being a thing people cared about, and what it means for the culture and for the sports in general. I agree with you. As you said at the top, you know, you and I don't have any interaction or uh, earthly idea who Logan Paul and KSI are, but a large certain population of people in the world seem to. And they seem to be interested in Logan Paul versus KSI in what was a professional, and yet I still I imagine, fairly amateurish boxing match. I did not watch any of it. I, hell, man, you put the two best boxers in the world out there to have a boxing match, I'm probably not going to watch it. So I'm not going to tune in for Logan Paul versus KSI either. However, I agree with you. I don't feel like you can be mad at people for liking what they like. In fact, there's a certain element both in the mixed martial arts world and also, you know, some other streams of interest that I follow on social media that I find to be somewhat exhausting in their uh, interrogation of what everyone else likes and everyone else's tastes. It's okay to like different stuff. It's okay to have different tastes. All of that is fine. And uh, above and beyond that, man, I can't even be mad at Logan Paul and KSI because... Guaranteed payouts of 900 grand a piece, I believe is what I read. A lot of professional MMA fighters would love to be guaranteed $900,000 for a fight. These guys think that they can make some money. They clearly uh, were correct about the high level of interest in their whatever it is. And they went out there and, and 
you know, put on the kind of show that they were capable of putting on. And if people liked it, if people interacted with it, I'm totally fine with that. But at the end of the day, I also agree with you that, like, if you're going to cover an event like this, you do have to put it in the proper perspective. And I, I feel like The Athletic did a good job of that in understanding that, like, for most people, especially people who are going to be frequenting your MMA or boxing or, or mainstream uh, sports website, the story is not actually going to be about the fight. Yeah. And I don't know if the people who were super into Logan Paul and KSI even cared all that much about the fight. They just wanted to see, you know, the personalities that they are interested in do whatever it is that they were doing. Uh, this is a really interesting point made in this story by by Rafe Bartholomew here, uh, who, and he talks a little bit about how, asked the question, does something like this help boxing in the end? Do you create new boxing fans? Or is that just a dream that you're telling yourself so that you can excuse showing up and devoting resources to this? And he talked about the New York Times was there. The Ringer was there. BuzzFeed was live blogging from Press Row for this. Uh, and he makes an interesting point here. Quote, in a way, figures like Paul and KSI have discovered an end route around traditional forms of celebrity. Instead of acquiring fame by being athletes, actors, or musicians, famous by being outstanding at something, they use social media and YouTube to become famous first. Now, when they want to branch out to acting or rapping or professional prize fighting, the power structures of those industries take them seriously, because the built-in audience that Logan Paul and KSI can offer to a company like DAZN is almost as large as the audience the platform can attract with major fights like a Ruiz Joshua 2 or a potential third fight between Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. And that point, this is a thing that I think... We used to talk about this with Kimbo. That Kimbo Slice had attained a kind of fame that was not possible 10 years before he attained it yeah just uh, changes in technology and the way people consume media and all that stuff had had made it possible to be to do do it this way to follow this route and this is in many ways exactly the same thing yeah i agree with you and and uh except they're shittier fighters (laughs) yeah but they're not like famous for being fighters right i mean i don't but i mean this goes back to i remember once i'm i promise this is going to be relevant by the time i ask you the question portion of it. I doubt that, but go ahead. I can't remember who it was. It was some indie rock singer where she was alleged to have been involved in this sex tape. And everybody was like, have you seen this? Have you seen this sex tape with this woman? And they were passing it around on the internet. It was like mid-2000s, you know, late, maybe 2008, 2009, around that time. And somebody in writing about it was like, I watched the sex tape telling myself that I was watching it to see if it's really her. And I watched it, and she says it's not her. I watched it. I don't really think it's her. I think it's somebody who looks a lot like her. But then I realized, man, at least once, I'll watch almost any two people fuck. (laughs) Just out of curiosity, and just especially if you tell me you might know one of them, then you'd be like, okay, let's see. (laughs) Let's see what's going on there. When it comes to something like this, where you take two people from some other field, and they genuinely kind of dislike each other, maybe, or they seem at least on the same kind of footing when it comes to their ability, their faculty with violence. Will you watch almost any two motherfuckers fight? Because I feel like I kind of will at least once. No, I will watch almost none of that. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I've said it before, like I'm largely not interested in watching amateur people fight. Although I have a lot in the past and I think maybe got my fill of it and maybe that's okay, why. That but be. like I'm not going to watch two guys fight in a bar. I'm not going to watch two guys fight in the street in front of a bar, unless I know one of them, maybe. See, there you go. Uh, well, yeah, but that's like I have an interest. Like, 
Uh, friend of a friend, maybe. Like you didn't uh, didn't didn't Canelo Alvarez fight two weeks ago, two weekends ago? Did yeah. not watch it. Not it's not my wheelhouse. So no, I'm not going to watch KSI fight Logan Paul. Uh, probably not going to watch that pornographic video. What if I find it and send it to you? Well, figure out who it's supposed to be. That's the thing. We're missing an important <laughs> yeah. piece of the puzzle. See, I didn't know who it was supposed to be then either. So it was like, okay, I'm, I'm missing out on some things. I think maybe one of the things I've realized that about myself as I have myself gotten, gotten older is that like, I don't have time for a lot of that bullshit, man. But I'm also not mad if, at the younger people if they do. Okay, fair enough. Next question this week comes to us from Deontay Milder. I see. See what they did yeah. there? Now, see, now this I'm I'm in support of taking the name of a famous person, changing it just a little bit to be to say a different thing. Now that takes some creativity. I sent in a question about Tyson Fury and his foray into professional wrestling a few weeks ago, but now he has been discussing a foray into MMA. More than that, he has apparently started some training with Darren Till. How do you rank his chances against current UFC heavyweights? Is there anyone you think he could beat, or would he just get leg kicked into oblivion? Disgust. Did you see this footage, Ben? Yeah, I it's saw It's floating it. around of uh, Darren Till holding the pads uh-huh. for uh, Tyson Fury. You know, ever since Ray Mercer knocked out Tim Sylvia, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's that a heavyweight boxer, especially one who is actually in or near his prime, couldn't knock out some UFC heavyweights right now. Well, yeah, the one thing that we've always known is, is that those guys can punch, right? Like, that's the that's been the primary driver of intrigue surrounding boxers and kickboxers coming over to MMA almost since UFC 1, right? Is the notion of, like, well, if this guy lands a punch, could be lights out forever. Uh, and Ray Mercer is the one example, I think, where you, that you can put out there that it, that's when it happened. So, like... You know, clearly those guys, the James Tonys of the world, haven't had a ton of success trying to come over to MMA and do it. But like Tyson Fury, despite being somewhat of of a problematic figure in the combat sports landscape, is also going to drive that interest. I think a lot of people would want to watch him do that. Uh, And so like, yeah, man, there would be tremendous interest in having Tyson Fury come over and fight in MMA. Uh whether or not he could beat anyone is a slightly different story. Like he has that kind of like cagey defensive boxing style where like if he could prevent someone from taking him down, he might well be able to knock them out. But and he's enormous. Yeah, he he's enormous. Uh, but it, that's what it would come down to, right? And like not to denigrate the man because clearly he is a elite level heavyweight boxer a championship level heavyweight boxer i am astounded by the way to find out that he is 31 years old how old did you think he was you mean just looking at him close to 40 close to 40 (laughs) uh he doesn't strike me as the most athletic type guy so i'm not sure how Oh, how he'd compare against the athletic Adonises of the of MMA's heavyweight division. That's Did not... Did you ever forget what Frank Mir just said? That's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, I don't know about his ability to add additional skills to the toolbox. I period, E period, takedown defense. Yeah, okay. Don't you also think that he's just fucking with us? Yes. Just, this is a... And not a bad way to do it, but this is all kind of a gimmick to keep you in the... 
the public eye, keep people talking about you, maybe recruit a different kind of fan to come buy some of your next fights. I don't think this is the guy seriously thinking about it. I think it's a it's a good way to refresh your brand a little bit and get the conversation moving around you. Sure, but at the same time, like uh, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor were just fucking with us for a long time. Uh, true. And then it turned out to be a real thing that actually happened. And look how enjoyable that was. In addition to that, like Tyson Fury, as as Deontay Milder noted, notes here, like recently showed up to do a, a one-off match in WWE. So like he will do stuff for money. He's a he's a guy who wants to get paid and will do stuff for money. I also think that at some point, an MMA boxing crossover is going to happen again. Yeah. Like the uh, uh, Mayweather-McGregor fight is probably not the last word on the subject. Well, unfortunately. It proved that there's a lot of money to be made from it if you do it right. That's right. And so like somebody is going to do it again, whether or not it's Masvidal and Canelo, whether or not it's Tyson Fury coming over. Like at some point, it's going to happen again. And so if we proceed from that knowledge, Tyson Fury is as likely as anybody else, maybe more likely than a lot of other guys to give it a shot. It just seems to me, as we've seen from the history of these things, the boxers that have other options, who have options in boxing, don't come to MMA. They make MMA come to them. Because why would they need to? Why would they need to come into this world where so many more bad things can happen to you in so many more different ways, and also the pay is historically lower? Right. Like That's probably the biggest thing. Like Conor McGregor had to go take a boxing match with Floyd, with Floyd Mayweather that deep in his heart of hearts, deep down in his brain's heart, Conor McGregor <laughs> did not think he was going to win that fight. Well, he also had to give the UFC a whole bunch of his money just for doing nothing. That's right. And like letting he, him do it. He essentially had to make a devil's bargain, which now he appears to be paying off a little at a time in the form of uh, a completely out of control personal life. But you're saying the devil is at work in the life of Conor McGregor. Black Philip, breaking my man. news. Black Philip. He has made a pact with Black Philip, uh, an unholy pact. He had to do all of that stuff just to make that money. Like he couldn't make that money in the UFC. He made far less money in the UFC. So to go out and make that kind of uh, you know, once in a lifetime money, he had to make this bargain of taking this fight that that. Everyone knew he wasn't going to win. And yeah. even all of the people around him knew he wasn't going to win. And somehow he managed to convince some of us that he had a chance. Looking at you. Excuse me? <laughs> I remember your blogs from the time about how Conor McGregor was going to shock the world. D check the record, bud. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say to you. All right. I made that part up. How but dare still, you? I made that up, but how still. dare you? Next question this week comes to us from Dylan Wanagal. Want a want a gill. Could be anything. This is a real person. Yeah, yeah a supporter Twitter. of the yeah. podcast. Uh, so being a shit-eating wild man like yourselves, immediately following UFC Moscow, I just had to switch to KSW 51 Croatia. This event featured the world's strongest grandfather, uh, <laughs> yes. Marius. I'm, see, now I'm going to try to pronounce Marius Pujanowski's middle name. It starts with the ZE. Yeah. That, is, that is the least surprising thing is that his middle name begins with the letter Z followed by the letter B, which, come on, already you've, you've stopped being a name as far as I can tell. Zbigniew? 
Zbigniew. Zbigniew. I think it's Zbigniew. Zbigniew Pujanowski. A few observations. Pujanowski's opponent, the 3-0 fitness model, Urko June, had achieved full mount, but Pujanowski appeared on the verge of, of a successful sweep to reverse positions. June grabbed the fence not once but twice to avoid getting swept. Uh, after the first grab, June was hit with a warning. After the second fence grab, the ref called time and stood them up from mount. That's in all caps. Stood them up from mount. The crowd booed, but... It sure was great to see a ref actually issue a penalty instead of endless warnings. Apparently, they don't go for Dundasso in Croatia. Number two, following his win, I checked out Pujanowski's tapology page and accompanying fighter image. And, well, if a picture says a thousand words, Pujanowski's 1970s James Bond villain look says enough to kickstart Chad's next novel. Uh, like I said, weird weekend. Pretty weird weekend. KSW has been putting on uh, World's Strongest Man, Marius Pujanowski fights for a while now. Have you looked? Have you actually looked at this topology? No, show picture? it to me. Show it to me. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, that's even more magnificent than I could have hoped. Yeah, that's a whiskey ad, right? That's, it's got to be. Because it's like. the. There's a like a tumbler of some kind of brown liquor looking very classy in the foreground on the table. And then kind of in the background there is the, the, the Puds himself. In a a plush leather chair with a sport coat and uh, shirt underneath, just looking like, hey, didn't see you there. Thanks for coming to my drawing room. Can I offer you a beverage? Marius Pujanowski is forty two years old, my age. There are a lot of similarities physically between me and Marius Pujanowski. You both powerhouse papas. That's right. Thirteen seven and one overall as an MMA fighter. Was coming in off two losses at KSW forty four and forty seven into this fight uh with Instagram celebrity Urko Jun. I did not watch this. I don't know if you have watched it. Second round TKO victory for Pujanowski. But uh see this is what KSW is selling over there and a lot of people are buying it. A lot of people uh, are very interested in the particular brand of MMA that KSW is putting on over there, largely in Poland, this event in Croatia. But like kind of a throwback in certain ways, has a lot of echoes of pride with the pomp and circumstance and the kind of pageantry of yeah, the they, event. They put on a show. Yeah, and then they will also do some, you know, the kind of matchmaking that we're a little bit more accustomed to seeing from Japanese MMA organizations where they will do stuff like, you know, put on a dozen Marius Pujanowski fights. The quote afterwards, I saw it from Twitter because you retweeted it, where he talks about being a grandfather mm -hmm. and and not having power. That's right. By and by Pujanowski standards, maybe he doesn't at this point. Maybe he's like, oh, I can only deadlift eight hundred pounds now instead of the full thousand. So. Not I, what I used to be. I am old. I am grandfather. I don't have condition. I don't have power. It was a little tongue-in-cheek, too. I think so. He was sort of like, you know, just went out there and stopped his opponent, got his got a win. He was being a little facetious. Still, uh, I mean, if you bought a ticket to KSW, you got to leave from that one feeling like you got what you paid for, right? Yeah. Hell Yeah. Get Pujanowski out there serving up beatdowns. Next question this week comes to us from Fritz Haber, who I assume is a former soccer player, ball player of some kind. 
Sounds to me like a 1920s boxer, but I'll check into it. Take a minute to discourse on the delightful banger of a performance we just got out of Ed Herman. He's all action. He looks like a lab-developed hybrid of Hendo and Sam Alvey. He was blasting knees while going for a standing guillotine at the same time. Seems he could easily continue as a guaranteed action guy for the UFC for years to come. The long, the sheer longevity it's here. Good, good to hear from uh, German chemist Fritz Haber. Chemist? Yeah. Won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1918 for his invention of the Haber-Bosch process, a method used in industry to synthesize ammonia from nitrogen gas and hydrogen gas. See, we got the academics. He's considered the father of chemical warfare. Okay. For his years of pioneering work developing and weaponizing chlorine and other poisonous gases during World War I. Well, that puts a much darker spin on it. Also, you want to talk about somebody's Wikipedia profile picture. If you look at that guy, you're like, yeah, that's that's a guy named Fritz. That's a, a German chemist. Yeah, that's a guy. Semi-evil who, German chemist. He'd kill you with poison gas. That yeah, guy right there. That's a fucking loot. Not lose a wink of sleep over it. <laughs> it looks like he has those glasses that just clip to your nose, but they don't have uh, ear earpieces. Is that right? They Yeah, and they seem... Uh, there's no way for me to... You guys are just going to have to go look at Fritz Haber's Wikipedia page. Uh, what are we talking about? Ed Herman, 39-year-old Ed Herman, Ben, the sheer longevity of the man. He had lost three fights in a row in 2018, but he's back with a vengeance, two wins in a row in 2019, uh, this most recent one coming over there in Moscow, uh, where by and large the Russians did not have great nights. No. Uh, but Ed Herman says he's not sure he's going to fight on after this one. It was a, a big-time brawl. He's at home licking his wounds and icing the bruises. Uh, but you got to figure he's he's feeling better about it than if he would have lost. Uh, what do you think about Ed Herman? You want you want to see him fight on into oblivion, or you starting to feel like, hey, short fuse, maybe we we close this thing out on a high note? You know, I was really he's one of those guys where whenever I see him on a UFC card, I'm always surprised that not only is he still doing it at all, he's still in the UFC. Yeah, somebody. Earlier on in the broadcast, I think they were talking about Davy Grant. And in trying to make a point about, like, hey, Davy Grant's been in the UFC doing it for a while. They were like, oh, Davy Grant was a member of uh, the Ultimate Fighter Season 18. How about that? Uh, he's still here. Motherfucker Ed Herman was on Season 3. That's right. Season 3. 2006. The Bisping season, man. Lost to Kendall Grove of Team Dagger, BT Dubs. Uh Back in June of 2006 at the Ultimate Fighter Season 3 finale. Since then, Ben, despite or other than one fight in Strike Force, Ronaldo Jacare Souza loss in January of 2013, which I think would have been under the Zufa banner anyway, uh, an uninterrupted tour of duty for Ed Herman in the UFC that continues to this day. Yeah, I mean, that's 13 years, my man. Well, and you watch him in this fight and you're like, okay, that's that's Ed Herman doing Ed Herman stuff, which includes gradually changing color as the fight goes on. Just gets redder and redder. Starts out pretty translucent uh -huh. and turns pink and kind of red, a deep mahogany at some point. And that's just going to be what he does. He's also going to look like he's always exhausted, but still be working and doing stuff. And... This one seemed like he just kind of had an experienced, savvy veteran edge over his opponent. And afterwards was talking like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm getting kind of old. I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. Honestly, I would support Ed Herman in whatever decision he wants to make here. Because I could see how after a fight like this, you'd be like, eh, sure, I got a couple more left in me. Everything's clicking all right. 
the thing they were saying on the broadcast about Dan Henderson talking about how he had his best year at 39. Maybe that could be me, man. Who knows? Do you think that a guy with the complexion of Ed Herman has the option of the tanning booth? You mean like he just burn immediately? Yeah. Would he like? Is it? Would, would he get like kind of a Dan Mergliata gold ever going on, or is it just like he needs to steer clear? Well, and the better question is, could he get a tan to stick? Like, yeah. would it would it stay long enough for him ever to read as tan instead of just like, hey, have you been exposed to uh, a nuclear accident? And then as soon as that fades, go right back to being pale again. I don't know. A lot of people, there's just no way for their body to get in any sort of a tan stasis. Ed Herman may very well be one of those guys. But he is going to come out to rock you like a hurricane by the fucking scorpions. Because Ed Herman knows... Like, his whole aesthetic is like, I just got out of a Trans Am, and I'm going to fight you now. And I'm, I may or may not remove the cigarette from my lips when I do it. It works for me, man. Me too. Next question this week comes to us from Lieutenant Mark Rumsfield, who I believe is the uh, character portrayed by Bruce Dern from the early Tom Hanks movie, The Burbs. Wow. I had to look that up. According to Damon Martin... I really wanted to believe you had that just right on the top of your head. Everyone knows that my Swiss cheese brain would not... Actually, that is something that I would remember. Yeah. That does sound like something. Character I, from the Burbs, that is something I could believe that you know. Just, just pretend like I didn't tip my hand and that I knew that all along. According to Damon Martin on the MMA fighting, first round management signed a high-level wrestling prospect named Bo Nickel. Typically, Scotty Cokes has seemed to be the Billy Bean of promoters at the MMA level, finding and developing the prospects before the UFC signs them in free agency. You think the UFC will ever try spending big money on a prospect to develop, or are they forever going to rely on long, oppressive contracts for undercard guys who may just accidentally become a capital G guy or girl? First of all, Ben, Bo Nickel... I believe a three-time national champion at Penn State University, which has a a history of turning out MMA fighters. Yep. Now going to uh, try to make his way as well and signing with uh, First Round Management, obviously an organization that represents a lot of high-level MMA fighters. So he – I saw someone on Twitter say this. He immediately becomes the best prospect in MMA. Of course, we're going to have to see how he does in the cage and how that goes for him. But like, you know, yet another – Elite level amateur wrestler coming into the sport, uh, always going to make waves when a guy like that shows up on the scene. Yeah, uh, what do you think about a like? Does it become more of a prospect when it's like, okay, this big management company got hooks in him early yeah. and stuff like that? I mean, like kind of the same way, a similar thing to what happened with Aaron Pico a little bit, where it was like. Somebody really early on is like, this guy's going to be a thing, and we're backing him now. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the way we've seen it done in boxing before, like with uh, Joe Frazier and like the Cloverlake group or something, where it's like, oh, a bunch of interested businessmen are going to all throw in to finance your training uh, in the hope that while it will seem to be a bad deal for them now, it will be an investment that will be a good deal for them and kind of a bad deal for you, the fighter, later on once yeah. you really start making them. Similar to the thing that we saw like with Team Takedown. Yeah, and uh, first-round management obviously represents a lot of UFC guys. I'm not I'm totally sure about their Bellator involvement, but I'm sure that they have a lot of guys over there too. This is kind of an interesting question, though, just because of how Bellator has handled itself recently. Like, uh, in a lot of ways, the choice or maybe the dilemma facing a young up-and-coming fighter is either to sign early with Bellator for what would be uh, more money than you would make on the independent circuit for sure, or to try to put together, you know, five, ten wins in a row 
uh, on the LFA level where you're probably not fighting for all that much money in the hopes of signing with the UFC. So it, it's almost like, I don't know if you want to say fork in, in the road, but like uh, you can understand how going with Bellator early on would be attractive for some people. Yeah. You don't want to spend all that time uh, toiling around on the independent circle ma- circuit making peanuts. And I, I do wonder if you'll start to see more of the UFC start to snap up people early on, uh, if no, if for no other reason than like sort of try to keep pace with Bellator. Well, and that's kind of what you see the something like the Dana White Contender Series being a thing that can it can do exactly that. Like what it did with Greg Hardy, where it's like, okay, we're going to basically put him in a development deal yeah. and bring him along slowly. And that would honestly be one of the big appeals of signing with Bellator so early on is. Bellator needs some homegrown stars. They might really appreciate your ass over there at Bellator. They really need to get their their hooks on somebody early on, and they have a real vested interest in building you up and bringing you along at a reasonable pace and making you into a thing. Whereas the UFC, you sign on there, and even if people are hot about you initially, you're one of many, and they don't have to care that much or invest too much in just making you as an investment payoff. That's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And it's also really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. So, Ben... Zabit Magomed Sharapov emerges with a unanimous decision victory over Calvin, over Calvin Cater in the main event of UFC Moscow on Saturday. Uh, this was, by all reports, a painstaking and difficult event to watch, where nine of the 13 fights go to decision, just four stoppages. The only stoppage on the main card, Danny Roberts' uh, second-round KO victory just before the co-main event. Uh, we will talk about Greg Hardy and Alexander Volkov in round number two. Suffice to say, that was not particularly an action-packed fight. Zabit and Calvin Cater largely brought it, as you will get from these main event fights. And you're, you're frankly lucky to get it in these events where you are putting a lot of pressure on these main events where there just aren't a lot of other stuff on the card that is going to hold people's interest. So you're lucky to get a decent little fight out of Zabit and, and Cater here in, in the main event. However, the listening audience will recall that this fight was supposed to go down a few weeks earlier at, at UFC Boston on the UFC on ESPN uh, 6 card and at that time was scheduled to be, you know, on the undercard of Dominic Reyes's fight against Chris Weidman was therefore scheduled for three rounds. Zabit gets injured. You have to move the, the, the fight to Moscow, mm-hmm. his hometown. 
Over there, it's going to serve as the main event following the injury to Junior Dos Santos that forced him out of the Volkov fight. They put Greg Hardy in, etc., etc. Uh, we decide to do a three-round main event here between Magomed Sharapov and Cater. And that decision, I don't know if you want to say it came back to bite us in the ass, but like this one I felt was just kind of starting to get interesting down the stretch of the third round as Calvin Cater seemed to be getting a little bit more comfortable, seemed to be finding his stride, started kind of lighting up Zabid Magomed Sharapov on the feet. And then just when just when he's starting to get the Ferrari out of the garage... Fight's over. Well, and just when Zabit is starting to really visibly, noticeably fade. Yeah. The third round is where he starts breathing hard and looking up at the clock. And, you know, as far as indicators on the Coleman Index, for a featherweight, that is the equivalent of reaching over and bending over and grabbing your knees. You know, usually featherweights don't have any problem going hard for three rounds. I was really surprised when I saw the judges' scorecard on this one. Two of the three judges had the first two rounds for Zabit. And the third round for Cutter, uh, reasonable scores. One of the judges, uh, David Letheby, had rounds one and three for Zabit and gave two to Calvin Cater. Interesting. How do you give round three to Zabit there? I, I have no idea. I don't either. That's a, an interesting decision, to say the least. But this does seem like we came away from this at looking at it in terms of what does this say about where hype levels should be for Zabit. Yeah. Him. Because when he was fighting guys lower down in the ranks uh, at featherweight, when you were looking at him, you know, earlier on in his UFC stay, where he's beating guys like Shaman Morais and Kyle Botchniak and Brandon Davis, and he's pulling off some cool shit and some shit we don't see as much anymore, and people are going, hey, man, this guy looks pretty exciting. Then he fights Jeremy Stevens, wins a decision, but didn't exactly blow anybody's hair back there. Uh, comes in here against Calvin Cater, and it feels like maybe you were a little lucky to escape. Lucky that this wasn't a, a real five-round main event fight. Do, do you feel like it cools the the heat a little bit on featherweight Abe Lincoln here? A little bit. Like, he had nine stoppages in ten fights previous to the Jeremy Stevens bout. And, you know, it's not like we haven't seen this before. A guy works his way up the the ladder. He's he's looking great against the the less talented guys in the division. And then suddenly he steps up to the to the elite level. He's still winning fights, but it's just going to be a lot more difficult to put guys like Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Cater away. That's that's why they are considered the upper echelon of the division. You know, in many cases, uh, it was not a great performance for Zabit Magomed Sharapov. It, do, it makes me wonder about the injury that had the fight postponed. Uh, I'm not... Yeah, it makes you really wonder about that injury, doesn't it? How do well, you get injured so, so much that you can't fight on this one, but you can't fight a few weeks later. Despite the fact that you are putting your tinfoil hat on, Come being on, the conspiracy man. theorist Come here, on, man. about the injury that moves over to Russia, uh, it is possible that there was an injury there, and it's possible that the injury prevented Magoma Cherbov from coming into this fight in the kind of condition that he would like to be in and then you slow in the last few minutes of the round he's also a huge dude like that is a big fucking featherweight right there six foot one used to fight at lightweight cuts a lot of weight to get down to 145 pounds so uh you know the fact that he ends up slowing down down the stretch uh in this fight against calvin cater is not necessarily a surprise especially when you add on top of that this is a dude who's never gone five rounds. So like he's getting to the end of his, you know, you get to the end of that third round. Like even if he were conditioned, he would be getting close to what had been the limit for him in his previous appearances. So 
it wasn't a great performance. It wasn't a highlight reel performance. There obviously wasn't a flashy stoppage there to, to put on the YouTube videos or the Instagram videos or whatever you want to do. But at the same time, like, I'm going to need to see more, I yeah. guess, from Zabit Magomed Sherpop before I decide to render a verdict one way or another on uh, the Russian Abe Lincoln. Yeah. It also did seem like he was throwing some stuff where I'm like, okay, that looks cool. That looks like some fun fun techniques going to get the crowd fired up. But Calvin Cater don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, he's going to absorb that stuff and then just come right back at you with just solid boxing fundamentals and shit like that. And... Maybe you wear yourself out a little bit trying to show off and do some fun stuff for the home crowd. And it turns out that the other guy is not the least bit affected by it. You see how that gets to you a little bit, too. Also, though, when he ends up saying, hey, I think I deserve to, I'm right there for the title picture next. And, again, saying, like, I'll, I'll be in better shape for that one. I'll be ready to go five rounds, all that stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe. I mean, if we don't have any other better ideas, but... I kind of think either Max Holloway or Alex Volkanovsky beats him based on what we've seen in the last two fights. Yeah, the version of him that shows up in those last two fights probably gets beat. Uh, I'm just going to have to wait and see how we do a little bit moving forward here. Uh, I did want to talk about Calvin Cater a little bit. 20-4. and four, He has two UFC losses now. Uh, Hanato Moicano and, and Magomed Sharapov. Historically very durable guy. He's only been stopped once in his UFC, or in his MMA career. Elite XC prime time. Whoa, okay. Man. May 31st, 2008. You will remember How that. How has he even been doing it long enough to have been at Elite XC prime time? You will remember that fight as the one where James Thompson's ear exploded, I believe, against Kimbo Slice. The first uh, like MMA card aired to air live on prime time on network TV in America, I believe. Yeah. Calvin Cater's been doing it as a professional since 2007, according to his Wikipedia page. He's 31 years old, so he got an early start there on the on his his MMA career. Uh, this was obviously supposed to be a fight in his hometown in Boston, as you continue to remind us. He caught a raw deal here. Yes, he did. Moving over to Russia to fight Zabit Magomed Shirapov in the in the main event. I'm wondering how we think about Calvin Cater now. Like he seems like a, a very very tough dude. Uh, he has stopped guys like Ricardo Lamas and Shane Burgos during his UFC career. He seems, he just seems like one of these guys that is going to go out there and slug it out with you. Almost no matter who you are, put on a certain kind of performance. And that performance is the kind that the UFC wants to have on its cards. And the UFC needs like a hundred Calvin caters at all times. Yes, it does. And yet those guys go kind of unappreciated or at least underappreciated. And I, I'm still excited to see him in future fights. I think he has a lot he can do. But you're right that the UFC is going to treat those guys like they're kind of interchangeable and just faceless drones in the pack. And really, to be able to be that kind of guy is extremely difficult. Also, after looking at uh, Calvin Cater's record, one thing I need you to know and take a second to stop and appreciate is that he competed at an event in Salem, New Hampshire, September 11th, 2009, called American Steel Cage Fighting 2. September 11th, huh? American Steel Cage Fighting. I mean, American Steel is a great band. It's an okay name for an MMA event, I guess. American Steel Cage Fighting 2 means they were... Not as good as the original, I heard. They knew they had a good thing. They are like, let's hold on to this. Rarely lives up to the original. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we will move on to round number two. What is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? 
Well, Chad, so I'm sitting there. I'm watching this all all this stuff go down from Moscow. I, I enjoy the Saturday morning, early Saturday afternoon fights and everything. And, you know, I'm watching on one screen, scrolling social media and checking out stuff uh, on the other one. And then I see, you know, I'm paying a little bit of attention when uh, David Zawada, is that how you say his name? I already forgot after seeing it on the broadcast. When he submits Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Pulled off a nice yeah. triangle choke there. I know where this is going. And then you know who gets aggressively online with like three tweets about it. Yeah. Like not even just, first it was like Nurmago tap, 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 which, okay, it would be clever if you had not also in your last professional fight been tapped out yourself by a Nurmagomedov. So already right there, you're not on the greatest of footing. And then he just keeps going with it. Are you fucking kidding me with this? Yeah. What are we even doing? I mean, we talked about how it's getting kind of sad. Who is this for? And this <laughs> that's a great question. Who is this for? And uh, this it's for the guy like, on the other end of the Twitter. That's what it's for. This was almost like the uh, the saddest display yet. Yeah. Because you're not even trying to fight that guy. Like you're trying to fight his cousin. You are talking shit to a guy's cousin because you want to fight him. Fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me. Ben, at this point, I feel like Chris Cyborg has to stop saying that she wants to fight Amanda Nunez. Okay, yeah. Because she's not in the UFC anymore. Yeah. We were and continue to be a little bit on the side of Amanda Nunez in this uh, dispute that she had with Dana White, especially at the end where Dana White kept saying she does not want to fight Amanda Nunez and Chris Cyborg kept saying, yes, I do, I will, I just want different terms to the financial agreement. At this point, she made the decision to go sign with Bellator. So, like, she's not going to fight Amanda Nunez. I feel like you got to stop saying that you want to. Yeah, you we all know s- that that cross-promotional thing is not going to happen. And here. granted, she's answering questions here. I believe TMZ Sports caught up with her uh, right there where she's going to go to the ticket counter at the airport. But uh, I want to read this quote. Before I signed with Bellator, the first thing I asked Scott for is maybe to have the possibility to fight... Uh, the same way he's done with Ryzen, his champions fighting with champions in Japan. I said maybe if he'll be able to do that with Amanda Nunez. And what do you think Scott Coker tells her? He's like, sure, hey, we'll, I'll make some calls. We'll that's look into it. I think he said that's something we can definitely look into. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me, Are you fucking kidding me? There's no universe in the world where that happens. No. We'll just we'll reach out. We'll, we'll talk about it. And uh, we'll see where we land. It's definitely an issue we could explore. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, as you'll recall... The original main event of this event in Moscow was supposed to be Alexander Volkov versus Junior Dos Santos. Then Junior Dos Santos went and got some kind of crazy, nasty infection in his leg or whatever. Had to pull out of that one. We get Greg Hardy to fill in, but we're not even going to pretend that that's still a main event kind of thing worthy to do. So knock it down to the co-main event and we get Alexander Volkov going out there and just you know, kind of... Easily outclassing Greg Hardy while taking as few risks as possible to avoid getting one of those big ham hocks upside his head. Yeah. Goes out there and 
kind of shows that there's levels to this shit, as we have seen before. Now, when you come out of this fight, though, because of just all the Greg Hardy stuff that all the people feel in all kinds of ways about Greg Hardy, the people who want to be kind of on the side of Greg Hardy or want to get excited about the future of Greg Hardy are going to come out of this going, well, hey, he didn't even get totally destroyed. <laughs> Therefore, great news. What a, what a good showing this was. Plus, he hurt his hand. Plus, he hurt his hand. Because it's not always something with this guy. It's always something. But then you got Alexander Volkov on the other side basically going like, hey, look, I know that wasn't great. I know that that wasn't the most impressive performance you could imagine. But I just had to not lose to this guy. Yeah. And I knew that I could not lose by just not being stupid and not trying to get too crazy. And therefore, now... Success. I did that. Can we, can I please have the junior just have to fight back now, please? Yeah. I mean, I keep saying this. I feel like I've said it since the beginning. I don't necessarily want to sound like a broken record, but like there is a possibility that Greg Hardy evolves into a very, very good mixed martial arts heavyweight. We already know he's a tremendous athlete just because of his uh, previous career playing in the NFL. However, like, oh, did he play in the NFL? Yeah. They should mention that. All pro. They never all pro in the NFL. They never bring that up. It's uh, weird. However, like all things being equal, this is a guy who should probably be fighting deep on the undercard of a UFC on ESPN Plus event from Moscow. He shouldn't be in the co-main event. The only reason he is in the co-main event is that he has this almost entirely negative notoriety because he was an NFL player that one time beat up a woman. Got ran out of the NFL, essentially. Got zero of the 32 teams declined to offer him a contract after uh, a failed experiment with a couple of different organizations uh, following that that arrest and later conviction and later the overturning of that conviction on appeal. Uh, I just don't like every time I watch the guy, I feel like, why are we doing this? Like yeah. he, he stepped up here on short notice to fight Alexander Volkov, assuming assumptively be to like get the bad taste out of his mouth from the no contest he had against Greg Sisoli overturned uh, because of his use of a, of a, an asthma inhaler in the corner. So he goes out there, he fights Alexander Volkov. He's Clearly a little bit out of his depth. Alexander Volkov is a much more experienced heavyweight fighter. At the same time, like, Greg Hardy has, like, just enough skills to make the other guy boring. Like, he's just good enough. He's just big enough. He's just dangerous enough that, like Alexander Volkov said, you just can't lose to him. So you can't go out there and be reckless. You got to be smart, like Alexander Volkov was, and pick him apart with straight punches and body kicks and the occasional dome rattler uh, up to the jawline. But, like... What's Greg Hardy doing in this fight? I don't know, man. Trying to land some haymakers in the first round. After that, I spent 10 minutes wondering why we're here. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Let's please stop. Well, and you wonder how much of it is uh, you hurt your hand and then you're just thinking, what am I just going to try to survive and see what I can do with one hand? Because you're right. There were times, especially later in this fight, where you're like, well, you got to know you're down on the scorecards and you're just kind of happy to be here still. And... All this stuff that we're going through and the the hype level that you're giving to this guy. And then when you see him in the cage so far, there's not a whole lot, at least when he fights anybody worth a damn, to show why this is worth it. If it's, Unless it's just the name. Or we're after this just for the name or just for the, a combination of the name 
and the limitless promise of potential. As long as he is always about to become something, yeah, then he never has to actually show that he is the thing yet. Yeah, he ha- and like I said, he ha- clearly has a lot of potential. He just shouldn't be out there in the UFC co-main event. He shouldn't be on ESPN. They shouldn't be propping him up as an MMA fighter that people should be interested in because as a pure MMA fighter, he's not justifying that at this point. He's not garnering any interest during the actual fights. And can you imagine a different heavyweight MMA prospect who came into the UFC and over the course of five fights got disqualified once, had a no contest once, and then gets put in a high profile position at the last minute in this co-main event in Russia and like doesn't do all that well, assuming, you know, we assume because he hurt his hand. Like that guy is dying. He's begging for it. He's begging to have Dana White go to a press conference and talk about how crappy he is. Ordinarily, that guy would be subject to like uh, a Dana White rant. And yeah. in this case, we're just going to keep running this dude out there, man, until he either becomes a star or uh, stops showing up, I guess. I guess. Just seems like a an inexplicable deal to me. And, of course, then every time he shows up, we also have to uh, confront the whole... Hey, he had, the most notable thing about him that you will ne- always mention on the broadcast is that he was in the NFL. The thing you don't want to dwell on is why he's not in the NFL anymore. If he had only been in the NFL, he wouldn't be where he wouldn't be in the co-main event. He wouldn't be on ESPN several times. The only reason that he's getting those high-profile opportunities is that people know who he, who he is, and the only reason people know who he is is because he was an NFL player that got convicted of domestic violence. Very publicly. And that just makes it, it reaffirms the idea that like, well, as long as you are known, you can be known for any goddamn reason. And we will try to make a buck off you. Kind of seems now like maybe uh, being known as a YouTube star is one of the more just like harmless ways you can achieve this weird sort of fame. Yeah. I Logan Paul, Logan and Jake Paul have had their own run-ins with uh, bad press. But, like, I just don't get it, man. I just don't get it. Clearly, we'll do things differently when we are health and lifestyle influencers. That's right. Squeaky clean. We're going to run a squeaky clean empire. (laughs) This is already off to a bad start. That is going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Ben, the Octagon is headed to Brazil on Saturday for UFC on ESPN Plus 22. The main event of this thing, a light heavyweight fight between Jan Blachowicz and Ronaldo Jacare Souza, the 39-year-old Jacare, heading up to 205 pounds after a 2-3 and three showing in his last five at middleweight. We saw this go horribly wrong for Chris Weidman recently. We saw it go horribly wrong for Luke Rockhold before that. Talk me off the ledge. Tell me that Jacare Souza is not about to go out here and get knocked out 
by Jan Blokovitz the same way Luke Rockhold did back at UFC 239. Yeah, that's the other thing is how not only are we seeing another middleweight go up to light heavyweight, but he's trying it against the same guy who proved to Luke Rockhold that it was a bad idea. I say if this one doesn't work out, this is where we declare this experiment kind of over. Put a moratorium on it? We just will say, you know what? We thought for a little while that that might that, that sounded okay. On paper, it seemed like a pretty good idea for some of those guys. Your path is kind of blocked at middleweight. You don't know if you'll ever be able to get back to a title shot there. You know, why not go up, get a fresh start, clean slate. Plus now you're not harmed by the weight cut or whatever. You're just living your best life, eating whatever you want, showing up 205 pounds, healthy, ready to roll. If this one goes the way the other ones went, then we'll be like, okay, you know what? No, it turns out we have these weight classes for a reason. Turns out that you you do not actually want to get punched in the face by these much bigger individuals because it will matter. Yeah. And there's a pretty good chance that, that this one could go that way. I looked at the odds on this one. I was a little bit surprised. Uh, Jan Blockwood's like a two-to-one favorite. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, I, I guess I expected him to be the favorite, just you know, recent history and size and age and all of that kind of other stuff. But Jacques Array can still do some stuff. He can do some stuff. The thing that he is best at, his submission game, not necessarily the the path he has chosen during a lot of his MMA uh, fights. I would also point out Jan Blokovic in, let's see here, 32 professional fights has been submitted exactly once at the hands of Andre Fayit, the word feet with a Y in it. Okay. Uh, back at KSW8, back when they were still using uh, Roman numerals. For the KSW numbers, November of 2007. So since then, uh, he has only lost once by TKO, twice by TKO, and and four times by decision. So he got kamurad by Andre Fayit. He did. Uh, the legendary Andre Fayit. You know, the thing they always say about Andre Fayit is that uh, he's not a perfect fighter, but you don't end up in his kimura. That's right. He's got the, the best kimura in the game. This is current record according to Tapology is five and twelve. Andre Fayit? Yeah. Well, you know, he had some tough breaks along the way. Things didn't didn't always go his way. Jacare Souza trying to find new life, I guess, just the same way these other middleweights have who have moved up. Uh his most recent loss was to Jacker Manson and then Kelvin Gasolum and Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero previous to that. So a lot of the players at 185 pounds. Uh I'm so, this is of all of the middleweight to light heavyweight move-ups that we have seen, I guess the trio of high-profile ones, this one surprised me the most. You can kind of understand why Chris Weidman would feel he was out of options. You can kind of understand uh, how Luke Rockhold would want to kind of clean the slate and do it again, just in terms of like sheer physicality and our expectations for him and you know, maybe just not having him top of mind, I was very surprised to see Jacare Souza announce that he was going to do 205. I just don't see how his skills translate in a positive way up there. I mean, I can understand he's going to do the thing that all the jiu-jitsu guys are going to do when they go up is be like, hey, I always did well in absolute divisions. So maybe that's the key here is I need to purposely fight people much bigger than me. Yeah, maybe that's his thing. Well, everybody thinks it's their thing until they get in there and you get hit in the face. And you're like, oh, yeah, I wasn't being punched in the head in those absolute divisions. Uh, let's say Jan Blockwitz goes at Jan Blockwitz, the middleweight killer, 
goes out here and does it to Jacques Ray the same way he did it to Luke Rockhold, then is he like John Jones, what's up? If he beats Jacare Souza, he should think about moving down, right? Like, because that'd be two middleweight wins in a row for Jan Blachowicz. He could be knocking on the door. Israel Adesanya, what's up? Huh? What do you think? Okay. Well, the crazy thing is that if he did go down and fight Israel Adesanya, he'd still be giving up like a two-inch height advantage to Israel Adesanya. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that Jan Blachowicz could make two or 185 pounds anyway. That's kind of a... He's got some girth to him. What do you think about this card just uh, generally? There's, there's not a whole lot here really telling you you got to get to your seat in time for the, the ESPN Plus broadcast. Uh, no, there is not. You got James Krause on the thing. Like he's a, oh, yeah. he's a, uh, a guy that, that I like to watch. Obviously, uh, uh, Hannon Burrell, the monster. Is on this card. Oh, how far the monster has fallen. Second card, second fight in. That's how far. Uh, I guess the like really Bobby Green is on this thing. Francisco Trinaldo. Like there's some guys that we that we recognize on here, but really the the two fights that are driving all the interest basically the co-main event uh, Shogun Hua and Paul Craig and Jan Blachowicz and uh, Jacare Souza, 37 year old Ben Shogun Hua, most recently coming off his win over Tyson Pedro. He's now uh, four and one in his last five. Wow. If you think about that. Wow. Show I read back. Fernanda Pratis's, uh story on him today on The Athletic where he, where she, you know, was basically straight up asking him, why are you still here? Why are you still doing this, man? And his answer is kind of the same as it's been for years is that oh, this is what I want to do. And as long as I can still do it, I don't see any reason to stop. Also, though, when you ask Shogun Hua how many surgeries he's had, he, he doesn't have a number ready for you, which... That tells you something about the kind of career he's been through. I, for one, am very excited to watch him beat the shit out of Paul Craig for two and a half rounds, get caught in a Hail Mary submission at the end, and then have Paul Craig give an interview that is delightful and utterly incomprehensible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think? He's going to pull pull guard into a guillotine just before the bell? That sounds about right. That sounds right. All right, let's do just sand stuff, Ben, and then... Uh... We can get out of here for this week. We talked at the beginning of the show about the lengthy interview that Nick Diaz did with Ariel Helwani just today as we were starting to go on the air. Nate Diaz update as well. You remember there was some uh, some concern that maybe Nate had pieced out the fight game due to his Instagram post that said, peace out, fight game. Here's his response to Ariel Helwani texting him to ask him if he was retired. Who said I was retired? <laughs> he responds, yeah. I'll fight tonight. I'll fight forever, he added later. I'm never going to retire, that's for sure. I guess I'm just saying, okay. <laughs> I mean... what? I mean, does who, this... Who said I was retired? Does this lend more credence to our theory that he meant it literally when he said he was going out on tour, that he's going to be now the, the tour manager for Hootie and the Blowfish's <laughs> reunion? Well, I mean, if he's going to fight tonight, it doesn't feel like he's gone too far from, from his home either. Like, maybe by going out on tour, he meant he was going to go to Rite Aid, pick some stuff up, then be back home, ready to take the call to get that fight. Yeah, I don't know if that... Under even the most liberal definition of on tour, I don't know if that qualifies. <laughs> Well, the Diaz brothers say they got they've got some different terminology that they're working with over there. That's for sure. Well, Chad, my just saying, did you see Dominic Reyes and John Jones 
going at each other a little bit on Twitter. Dominic Reyes posts the thing where they're talking. You know, we're trying to get some momentum behind this fight, clearly. Yeah. Every, just like Dominic Reyes had talked about where he doesn't really believe it until the contracts are signed. He'll get in there, and we were like, same, same, bro, especially when John Jones is involved. But he's out there. He's on Twitter. He writes, a champion so great, he is now going to be fighting the first of the next generation. It's such an honor, and I can't wait for my crack at the king in the octagon. He tags John Jones uh, and then has a bunch of hashtags. Uh, John Jones replies, you started this whole thing talking about party favors, and now you're going to show this fake-ass respect? Serious question, Dominic. Spells his name wrong. What exactly is so next generation about you or your fighting style? You're a new name. That's the only thing different about you. I'm just saying, you're, you're not wrong, but you are being a dick about it. And also, when he's saying the first of the next generation, I think, I think he's just talking about in terms of fighting eras. I don't think it was necessarily a literal claim to be a next generation fighter bringing skills heretofore unseen <laughs> in the fight game. I think he's just kind of talking like chronologically. Yeah. I'm just saying... We're all we're all doing what we can here to try to build up some some momentum to get this fight together that we want. But I'm also just saying it is possible to do too much. Just saying. John Jones isn't going to learn how to spell these fools' names. Too many of them. Dime a dozen to him. I mean, you're replying to the guy in his tweet. His name is in the tweet. His yeah, name is in the Twitter handle. You just look at that. He's not going to look that closely. It's right there. He's got to. He's got to get to the shit talk. You have to look at his name to even like reply to the tweet. Well, shit talk is too gold. It's too fire. Can't be slowed down. <laughs> well, fair enough. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday for all you patrons out there with our live chat. We got to get this uh, video thing. Well, I got some ideas. We're we have- figured out. We're going to figure something out. Okay. It with these motherfuckers at stage 10. Then we've got the uh, the Thursday text chat over at The Athletic. And then Friday, of course, we will be back for the co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour, just as we do every week. If you're not signed up for the Patreon yet, get out there and do it. Sign up for that bad boy. Join us on all the fun over at Patreon.com. If you have, we'll see you Wednesday. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Do you think this is the problem with mine? Should talk is that it it slows down to make sure I'm spelling everybody's names right. I'm losing steam that way. Yep, too much fact checking, uh, too much show, not enough go. That's okay, the problem is. Oh, I, I appreciate your honesty in this time. Yeah, so the I, one thing that I've always said about your trash talk too meditative, too premeditated. I, somebody had to say it. You know, glad it was you. Well, the iron is hot, you gotta strike, man. You gotta keep it, uh, keep it immediate. Don't even want to check and make sure I should even be mad at that person. Just go.